Amen. Uh, I love that song and um, mercy falling down. And the, 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 I know your past is broken. You can move on. It's over now. Uh, that's Moses and that's us. Uh, next Sunday, I can't wait, our trunk or treat event. Uh, we just can't wait. We're just so grateful for, for the countless volunteers. We have over 150 people volunteering already from Prodigal Church um, at this event. We're so grateful. Still time to get some more candy. Um, and then also next week is uh, Serve Saturday. And that's basically on Sunday morning, we normally get here. I don't know if you guys know this. We, meaning staff and some amazing volunteers, saints, if you will, they're here about 5.15, 5.30, um, and then we set up all of this. And then, uh, but next week, because we're going to have 5,000 people on our campus in the evening, we're going to be setting up for our regular Sunday morning services on Saturday here at 1 o'clock, and then Sunday morning when we get here early, we'll just start already on Trunk or Treat. So if you're free on a Saturday afternoon and there's no good college football games on, or even if there is... Uh, we want to invite you. Uh, you can come here. We'll, you don't need to know anything. We'll go, hey, you set up this children's thing or you, you set up this tent or that light. Uh, it'd be a great blessing if, if uh, we could have a few more hands to help us this upcoming Saturday at 1 o'clock right here. You'll hear more about it via social media. We left off last week with the Lord appearing to Moses through a burning bush and God's call on the life of Moses to free his people, to go up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses gives a litany of excuses. He gives two more we didn't get to last week, right? And just a heads up, we're going to be covering a lot of holy ground this morning, okay? So uh, there will be more Bible reading than most Sundays, but we'd love for you to follow along in your own Bibles or on the screens. Uh, but we're going to get you to Moses before Pharaoh before the morning's done. But there's some twists and turns before we get there. Are you guys ready? All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 4, second book of the Bible, chapter 4. Verse 10, we're going to get the last two excuses here. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. These are the two last excuses. Number one, I don't talk good. God says, I will be with you. He actually says in the Hebrew, I will be with your mouth. Number two, I don't want to. Um, Moses says, I don't talk good. Now, is this true? Does Moses not really talk good? Uh, he could be referring to the language of, of Egyptians, right? He, he's been in Median now for 40 years. Uh, it's been a long time since he's been using the language of Egypt. And so he's saying, I don't talk good. I, I haven't spoken Egyptian in 40 years. I got to go before Pharaoh and his court. My Egyptian's not what it used to be. And so he could be referring to that. He also could be referring to uh, how he's stumbling even in the presence of the Lord. He says, I haven't been good in the past, but I also haven't been good since you and I have been talking right now. Uh, he's like a teenager, just met a pretty girl. And in his whole interaction, he's like, oh, well, 
uh, what's your name? I mean, they're going to ask me your name. My, my name's Moses, so, so I need to tell them what your name is. Uh, I don't talk good. Maybe he's just stumbling in the presence of God, and he's referring to, I'm stumbling here, I'm going to stumble there, I'm not the right guy. Moses here is projecting his own insecurity. And the New Testament actually chimes in on this debate. Is Moses really good at talking, or is he really bad at talking? Look at Acts chapter 7. You have to turn there. It'll be on the screens. It says this. Uh, this is Philip preaching, and he says, At the, that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he, took his, when he was out, placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Moses, Philip just told on you. Uh, he was raised in the best schools the world had to offer at the time. I think Moses, I think he's projecting his own insecurities. In fact, he's saying, I don't really want to. God says, I will be with your mouth. All of these objections are just excuses. He didn't really want to. He was a phenomenal communicator. Uh, ever have someone text you like at 5 p.m. on a Friday? And he said, hey, you want to go to dinner? And you're like already in your PJs. <laughs> you're ready to like Netflix and chill. So you send a text back, sorry, I can't tonight. I got a ton of work. And they're like, it's Friday night. And you're like, I know, but they, I got to get a good head start for the weekend before Monday morning. Plus my cat is sick and I'm still crying from last night's This Is Us episode. Um, I've got to water my plants. And you're just coming up with excuses because you don't really want to go. That's what Moses is doing. You don't really want to go. I read about some excuses this week. These are notes from parents to teachers to excuse their child's absence from school. Here's one. Please excuse Joyce from PE for a few days. Yesterday she fell out of a tree and misplaced her hip. <laughs> My son is under doctor's care and should not take PE. Please execute him. <laughs> Please excuse Ray Friday. He has loose vowels. <laughs> Ayo. There's another layer there. Ayo. Those are vowels. Um, Mary could not come to school because she is bothered by very close veins. <laughs> and lastly, please excuse Gloria. She has been sick and under the doctor. Um, you have a bigger problem than missing school. Uh, did you know that most flat tires occur Monday mornings or Friday afternoons? Statistics show. Why? Well, Monday mornings is when most people don't want to go into work. And Friday afternoons are when most people don't want to go back to work. Uh, excuses. They reveal our hearts. And the same is true for Moses. Look what he says in verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. I've given you four excuses. But at the end of the day, I just don't want to. Send someone else. No matter what, signs or no signs or whether God promises to be with him or not, Moses just doesn't want to go. He's still viewing his call in light of his own circumstances. What excuses are you making? Is it I'm too young? 
I'm too old. I'm not ready. I'm still new to following Jesus. I'm too busy. I don't make enough money. What excuse are you making that is hindering you from taking that next step in your walk with Jesus? My 10th grade football coach said this in 1996. He said, excuses are like armpits. We all got them and they all stink. <laughs> Except he didn't say armpits. He said something else. What are, what's your excuse? What's your excuse to avoid, to push aside what God's calling you to right now? Look at verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Duh. He's, and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. It's almost as if he's like teasing him a little bit. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak. I will be with both of your mouths and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. It's like, don't forget the staff, Moses. We talked about that last week. Moses is like, fine, and starts walking away, and God's like, the staff, don't, don't forget that. Have you ever used the phrase, I would if I could, but I can't? so I won't. It's a tragedy. I would if I could, but I can't, so God will. That's victory. We touched on calling last week, but I think that there's more God may want to say to us about our own callings. And I believe God really wants to clarify our calling. And here's just a, a few thoughts. Number one, your calling is plural, not singular. What's God's will for me? That's, that's the kind of clarity we want from God. A better question is, what is God's will and how can I play a part of it? What role you play in God's mission is of the highest importance, even if you don't think it is. Even what we do on the weekend, set up, tear down, the people who come and volunteer, their role isn't to be on the stage. They, they don't have a voice like Megan or a voice like Noe. They're not on the stage with everyone staring at them. But what they do absolutely matters for the kingdom of God. Just as much as anybody up here playing a guitar. The high school football team manager gets a ring from the championship. And on his ring, he might say MGR. People might say, what is that? And he'll say, girls don't know the difference. I say, I was the main guard. <laughs> you don't compare your role in God's kingdom, your calling with the calling of somebody else. The death of contentment is comparison. And we do that all the time. And we don't just do it with our callings. We do it with our neighbors. Uh, we do it with our coworkers. We do it with our friends. Ever have a friend get, get something, remodel, get a new house, get a new car, and then they tell you and you're like, ugh. Like a part of you is like not happy for them because you deserve that. The death of contentment is comparison. Number two, your calling is present, not future. It's not what you will be doing. It's what you are doing. God's calling on your life is primarily involves right now, not some future point in your life. What's he calling to you at this moment? Don't put it off. Don't say, oh, well, my call in my life is something distant down in the future. That's what I'm going to do way back, way ahead in the future. No, God is saying right now. What am I calling you to right now at this moment? Number three, 
Your calling is a person, not a place. God can call you to a place, but our primary calling is to Christ. Paul says this, while in prison, Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He's in prison. Calling isn't a place. Living a life worthy of the calling you have received. Jesus is our calling. He's our calling. It's like uh, the cloud. Uh, some of you guys have smartphones or computers, and they're all backed up to the cloud. What is it? I don't know. But it's there. If you don't have a connection, you can't get what you need from the cloud. If there's no connection, you cannot receive, you cannot download whatever's stored there. Jesus is our connection. And so he gives us everything we need to fulfill the calling he has on our lives, but we can't lose that connection. The excuse of, I don't know what my calling is, doesn't hold up because Jesus is our calling. Let's stay connected to him. Let's have five bars in our signal to God and he'll take care of the rest. So Moses gives these five excuses. God shows him grace, meeting where he is. Moses begins to step into this calling. Verse 18, then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. We see here Moses honoring his father-in-law, Jethro. He didn't have to. He asked for permission to leave. He wanted to. He's honoring the man who gave his daughter in marriage to Moses. So this is a pretty blank, blanket point here. Honor your in-laws, okay? I have the best in-laws in the world. They're really easy to honor. Uh, but honor your in-laws. Moses didn't have to do this. God, it wasn't in the instructions from the Lord, but he does it. He honors his father-in-law, Jethro. Now, why does Moses only tell him half the truth, though, right? He says, let me go check on my people to see if they're still alive. He knows they're still alive. That's not the mission. The plan is go to Pharaoh, let my people go. But he, he kind of does a half-truth. Why does he do this? Again, the Bible gives us may, maybe more questions than it does answers here. We're not told. Perhaps he thinks Jethro's going to think he's crazy, that he talked to God in a bush. Maybe. I'm not sure. But he only tells half. Many more questions will arise as we keep reading. Don't worry. Verse 20 says this. So Moses took his wife and sons. Sons, plural, more than one. We, we saw earlier he had Gershom that he named Send Away. And apparently 40 years in the, in the desert, he has more than one son. They started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Notice, again, we pointed this out last week. In, in verse 2, it was a shepherd's staff. And in verse 20, it's the staff of God. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform for before Pharaoh all the wonders you have given. I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Okay, deep theological questions here. We're going to pause and tackle those in two weeks. More on God hardening Pharaoh's heart and how mean that appears to be uh, in a couple of weeks. We'll get there. Verse 22, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel's my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your first, 
firstborn son. Seems like a strange place for a recap of their conversation at the bush, but we're given some more details. We're given the, the scenario that God's firstborn son is Israel, his people. And it foreshadows what's going to happen to Pharaoh's own firstborn son and the firstborn of the Egyptians. Now, here's where it gets weird. And I'm just going to read it straight from the Bible because if I told you this story, you wouldn't think it's in the Bible. Here it is, Exodus chapter 4, starting at verse 24. It says this, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Huh? But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At the time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. I don't remember that scene in the movie. <laughs> Wait, God's going to kill Moses on his way to Pharaoh because he didn't circumcise his son? Um, that's a great yearbook verse, right? Have a great summer, Exodus 4. <laughs> Look it up. What's going on here? Quick summary, just so that we make sure we're on the same page. They're on their way to Egypt so that Moses can go, let my people go before Pharaoh. They're at some Airbnb, and somehow, in the middle of the night, it, it becomes abundantly clear that God is going to kill Moses until his wife grabs a knife, cuts off the foreskin of her son, throws it to Moses. Whew, crisis averted. And all God's people said... What? <laughs> there are way too many questions in this passage, okay? Let me try and unpack some of it. In the Old Testament, circumcision is the covenant sign for the people of God. And I know it's weird, and I know it's gross, but it was a symbol of the Hebrew people of being set apart as a nation to God. It was painful, and it was permanent, it was a mark of the covenant. It was the mark of the covenant God made with Abraham. The story gets even more weird, though. Exodus says that she touched Moses' feet with the foreskin. Feet, in Hebrew, most scholars believe that it's a euphemism for his genitalia. So it's not that she touched his feet with the foreskin, but she touched his hmm with the foreskin. <laughs> So she cuts it off, touches Moses with it, and as if to remind him, your parents followed God's laws with you, and you're refusing to follow God's laws with your own son. Every time Moses went to the bathroom, he was reminded that he was part of God's covenant people. And he was also reminded that he should lead his family to be marked by God as well. Now Zipporah is a strong female character, and she saves his life. Just like the women before her, right? Remember chapter 1? Shifra and Pua? These are uh, the, 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 what are they? The, the people who give birth? The, midwives. Yes, midwives. <laughs> I knew it was an M word. They're the midwives who saved Moses' life. And then Moses' mother, Jochebed, puts him in the ark, uh, saves his life. I love that the book of Exodus here, just in the first four chapters, has four women saving the life of this prophet, this leader of Israel. Moses is saved again by a woman. 
Now, it's difficult to fully grasp the context in which this event happened and why it happened. There's a lot of reasons why. In Hebrew, it's so, it's all pronouns. It's, and so he wanted to kill him because, of, so he cut off his foreskin. And then he, all the he's, is it God? Is it Moses? Is it Gershom? Is it another kid? We don't know who he is, but scholars have a general cons- consensus that this is what we have. That it was God wanting to kill Moses because of his son's. Uh, lack of circumcision. Why did this all happen? What's the deal? It's not so much that circumcision is the big deal. It's that obedience is a big deal. It appears that Moses is kind of like, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's not, it's not that important. And probably his wife Zipporah for 40 years challenged him on this. You know, we should, we should probably get, a, get him circumcised. It's a mark of your people, right? That's, that's, that should be a priority. And I was like, yeah, yeah, totally. There's a cautionary tale here for those of us that want to do the big thing for God. But you know that small, very private matter? Let's let that slide. Let's move on. Let's keep that a secret. God says, no, the little things are just as important as the big things. And it's so true for our lives. So she picks up Gershom after this bloody incident, and she goes back to Midian. They're not to be reunited until after the Exodus. Seems that Moses might have said yes to the big thing God called him to, but he neglected other core aspects of God's commands. So here's the question for us. What are you leaving undone? God, I'm willing to give you the big thing, but this over here, I just want to keep this private. And it plays itself out in lots of ways in our own lives. It plays itself out with our addictions. God, I'll give you all this, but this, this is just, I can't let this go right now. It plays itself out with our finances. Uh, I, I, I go to church every week. I love Jesus. Everybody knows I love Jesus. But when it comes to uh, my giving, my tithes, you don't understand that that's just that's private that's private we'll just let that slide that's not that big of a deal it's only mentioned a handful of times in the bible we'll just keep it to the side what are you leaving undone now in in my neighborhood mondays are trash days and so we bring our trash cans out to the curb and you have to take it to you have to take your trash to the curb for the world to see it's not hidden at all Right on the front of your house, all your garbage goes there for the world to see at least once a week. The garbage man doesn't come to your house, then go to the basement where you hide everything and say, where's the garbage? Let me take it out for you. (laughs) And he sneaks it out in the middle of the night. No, 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 no. It's on the curb for the world to see. There's a healing that comes place. There's a freedom when we are able to be honest with our trash, uh, with what's inside of us, when we're honest about our insides. And notice that Modus accepts his wife's rebuke. We need to re- accept the rebukes of our spouses as well. They're often right. God gives them insights into things that you have neglected. And yes, I'm preaching to myself. Who do you need to help you? 
Moses had Zipporah, his wife, but he also had his brother Aaron. And after this near-death experience, Moses and his brother Aaron are reunited that Moses shares about his encounter with God, and they get to before Pharaoh. And I'm just going to kind of summarize a lot of chapter 5 here uh, for time's sake. But they get before Pharaoh, and they ask, they don't say, let my people go right away. They say, let us, let, let us take the Hebrew people out for a three-day journey into the wilderness and to, to offer worship to our God, and then we'll come back. Let's start small. Let's give Pharaoh something that he might say yes to. And Pharaoh says, no, no, I'm not going to let you guys go. And then he says, actually, it sounds like you guys have too much time on your hands. You're, you're thinking too much. So actually, double your workload. You got to get your own straw. We used to get that for you. Now you got to go out somewhere in Egypt, find the straw, put, mix it into the bricks. Now, things don't get better. They get worse. So the Hebrews are all mad now. Like, Moses, you came back to free us, and you had one interaction with Pharaoh, and now things are worse. Double the workload? Thanks a lot. So Moses is discouraged, and he begins to question God again. Verse 22, it'll be on the screens. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and Moses, or, and you have not rescued your people at all. So he asked the question, why? This is the curse that we as humans have to bear, the question of why. We've all asked it. We've all asked it in tears before God. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was the loss of a relationship. Maybe it was the loss of life for someone way too young. We've all, in tears to God, ripped open our chest and asked the question, why? Why? See, we can bear an inordinate amount of suffering if we know that there's a purpose in it. But purposeless suffering, that's another story. If a man is sticking a needle into my gums and I'm in a dentist chair, I can bear it because I know that there is a purpose to fix my teeth. But if some stranger on the street starts sticking needles in my gums, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't, that, that's gross. Stop hurting me. Purposeless suffering. Why? We don't know the purpose very often in our suffering. And that's why we ask why. And this is what Moses is asking. This is what the people of God are asking. Why? Why? Why'd you bring me here? Why'd you call me? I was fine as a shepherd. And now I'm, I've not just hurt me. I've hurt all these other pe- Hebrews. Things have gotten worse. Verse 2 says this. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I am. I am. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. As God Almighty. That's the Hebrew word El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. Moses asks why. God says, I am. I am. I am. He also says that he appeared as as God Almighty, El Shaddai. And this is worth the price of admission, which was free. This word El Shaddai, it comes from the Akkadian word Sadu. And it means mountains or breasts. To the Akkadians, there were mountains and then there were mountains. Okay? It, it's intentional. To, so when God becomes, says, I'm El Shaddai, he's saying two things. When he's saying, I'm God of the mountains, I'm God Almighty, I'm saying two things. I'm the God of might and I'm the God of life. 
I'm the God of power, and I'm the God of intimacy. I'm the God of tenderness. He isn't just God Almighty, El Shaddai, the God of the mountains, but a God of tenderness, intimacy. He is the great I am. Verse 9, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. They couldn't hear the words from the Lord because they were so discouraged by their circumstances. And so some of you might be discouraged in your circumstances right now, and that's preventing you from hearing what God maybe wants to say to you this morning. Verse 10, then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. Then in chapter 6, we find this random genealogy. And it's included here to link Moses and Aaron to the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But something interesting is recorded in verses 19 and 20. And in genealogies, often we'll just skip past. Uh, oh, there's just a bunch of names. Okay, yeah. Let's go to the next page. It says this in verse 19 and 20. These were the clans of Levi, according to their records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Let's just sit on that for a second. Did the Bible just say that Moses' parents were nephew and aunt? Can you imagine that? His dad's pet name for his wife is Auntie. That's weird. You might be thinking, well, it was way back then. Uh, it, it was normal back then, right? No, it wasn't, okay? It was just as weird then as it is now. Later in Exodus, when the law shows up, actually, it's forbidden to marry someone in this close relationship to you. It's forbidden. Throughout the Bible, we see that your roots, your family, your past... All of these things do not determine your future. God's like to Jochebed and Amram, you, you shouldn't do that. You sh don't do that. Don't. Oh, you did that. Well, I'm still going to use you to free a nation through your sons. I want to invite Noe and the worship band up, and we'll close with a song. A couple of questions for us. As Christians, we're not defined by our past, but by our future. Who am I becoming? Who is Jesus shaping me to be? How is Jesus shaping you this morning? Is, is it about clarifying a certain calling that you might have? And, and you've been putting off your calling because it means it's someplace else. It's someplace, some, some distance away from us. It's future. It's not present. But God is trying to pull the future forward and say, this is what I'm calling you to right now in this moment. And then what excuses do you have to say no to that? What are your excuses? When things slow down, God, for sure I will. When we get through 2018... When that money shows up, God, I'm not going to do anything until you fix this one situation. What excuses are you giving before God? And lastly, what is God 
calling you to that you've left undone? What is that little thing? God, I'm following you. I said yes to you. I received you into my heart. My sins are forgiven. I know where I'm going. I go to church on Sundays. But this part right here, let's, we can let that slide. That's small. Big picture stuff, I'm doing great. But these small things that you've called me to in obedience, I've neglected. The small things matter just as much as the big things. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you clarify to us what you're calling us towards. Father God, I pray that, that we would not be focused in on the past, maybe even our own bad decisions. Maybe it was the bad decisions of, of us. Maybe it was the bad decisions of our parents, like it was for Moses and Jochebed. And Amram, God, I don't know what bad decisions are in the past, but I do know this. They're in the past. And God, you don't determine our future. You don't call us to something by consulting the past. Help us to move past the past in Jesus' name, Lord. God, I pray that our excuses would fall by the wayside, that we'd be able to say yes to you in this moment to what you're calling us to. Thank you, God, for your call in our lives, that all of us are messed up, that all of us have garbage in our houses. And God, when we're honest about it, when we put it out front for the world to see, it can get removed. And so God, I pray for that, all the nooks and crannies of our lives where we have hid something that's rotting. I pray that we throw it away today. I pray that we throw it away in Jesus' name that we'd leave the land of slavery and, and head towards your promise that our calling is not a place, but to you, Jesus. We're called to you. We're called to your side, God. God, I've seen the way you've moved mountains in the past. We pray you move them again in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close with this song?